Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk about college football, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions. Here, episode 143. 2014 was the first year that the college football playoffs released their rankings here at the college football playoffs. Week nine was the first week that they released this. Can you name the state that had two of their colleges in the top four on the first week that the college football playoff rankings were released? What year? Uh, 2014. Texas. Incorrect. Really? I would have guessed it was TCU and Baylor. Wasn't that the year both TCU and Baylor were really good? Wait, 2014? 14. Week 9 of the season. It was the first week that the CFP rankings came out. Any guesses? Uh, oh, Mississippi. Is it Mississippi State and Ole Miss? Yeah, Mississippi State was number Yeah, baby! And Ole Miss was number four. Let's uh, go! Uh, that doesn't really mean anything. I just thought it was a fun fact. So there you are. Also, fun fact, uh, Iowa State won in Vegas. Um, if you went to that game, I hope you still remember the game because it looked like a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, UNLV is bad. UNLV is very, very bad. They're probably one of the worst FBS teams, if not the worst FBS team in the nation right now. Um, like maybe only UConn is worse than them as far as FBS teams. So. I mean, you didn't learn much from that game. Um, it was a major get-right game for the offense. Brees Hall had uh, 100 yards on the ground um, and another rushing touchdown to keep that uh, streak alive. Um, Brock Purdy looked good. He did not turn the ball over, um, had some passing touchdowns. Xavier Hutchinson had the best game of his career, 130-plus um, yards um, and two touchdowns for him. So all around, just a very good game from the offense. And the defense continued to play like one of, if not the best defense in the nation. UNLV, I believe, did I see this right? Had negative rush yards for the game. Was that correct? Or did I missed that stat? Maybe was it was that, just a half. Was, or was that including sacks, though? Sacks Sack are yardage. included as negative rush yards in college. Right. So. Yeah. So they might they might not have been negative rush yards from the running back position, but sack yardage as well. But that's I mean that's not a great place to be. But when you look at Iowa, like pan out a little bit, Iowa State's run defense this season absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Two point six yards per play on average uh, is what Iowa State's giving up on defense, but one point five rush or yards per rush attempt, which it, that is low. I mean, think about it. There's a lot of times when people line up third and two, fourth and one, and when you're lining up against this defense, odds are, odds are not in your favor that you're going to get that at this point. So that's pretty impressive in Iowa State. That uh, ranks them top ten in the nation in all of college football in rush yards per game allowed, uh, only giving up 53.5 yards per game so far on the season. Yeah. They're also one of the best defenses in the nation in um, total yards per game allowed. Um, they're not as great in points just because of how many short fields they were put in against Iowa. Um, but overall, they've been outside of that Iowa game. They've held their other two opponents to just a grand total of 13 points um, in two games. Um, so 
that's uh, really impressive from the defense. And I mean, if your defense plays well, you're pretty much always in football games, right? Like if your offense plays well, it shootouts are much more crap shoots than low scoring games, in my opinion, right? So if your defense keeps playing a really good level, you're going to be in a ton of games or on the correct side of the blowout if they happen. Um, the defense um, just continues to play well, and that's that's good. Other than that, we didn't really learn much. The kicking game looked good. Um, Iowa State hit a 50-plus yard field goal. Who's that new kicker? The distance Andrew, one? Andrew Mevis. Yes, Mevis has been been really good from distance kicking with a Sally still um, kicking extra points and shorter field goals. So, um, yeah, the defense, the defense has been good. The kicking was good. So just all around a great game. But otherwise, like I said, UNLV is bad, so we didn't learn much. Just a confidence booster um, oh. going into conference play this next week. Um, I thought I thought one thing that was probably helpful and well-timed with this game is hopefully this is a get-back-on-track game for the offensive line. Uh, I thought the offensive line provided a nice clean pocket for Purdy most of the evening, had some good running lanes for Brees Hall as well. Um, I just think, I think this was hopefully the game where they kind of got it together um, because they're really going to have to step it up in a big way, getting into conference play here um, at next week and especially going forward. Um, But yeah, I mean, we didn't take away a whole lot. Jake Hummel is a monster so far this season. Uh, He's leading the team in tackles. He has 26 total uh, tackles so far on the season, I believe a combination of solo and assists. Um, and he's, he's been all over the place. Mike Rose has been phenomenal again as well. Um, and Aishin Young is making some big plays while managing to keep his head up too and keep himself in, in football games, which is nice. Uh, so yeah, speaking of keeping ourselves in football games, um, Baylor, or uh, we'll just look forward. Baylor always seems to be one of those opponents that Iowa State seems to have a little bit of trouble against. They're the team that seems to give us a, a few more fits. That was the big loss down in uh Waco two years ago, um, the tent debacle game. Uh, and it, it's just one of those teams, their style of play how how they line up against each other is it's a tough game um i mean going back to our freshman year in the marching band we were leading the entire game until baylor kicked the field goal to win it they were just hanging around and that's what they do so it should be a very probably a very close game uh baylor has blown out all of their easy opponents that they have faced so far uh, haven't had a tough schedule up to this point, so this is their real first test of the season. And Iowa State's looking to get right with the first game in conference play. Um, it's where these games start start to mean a lot more going forward. Yep. Yeah. I mean, now is really, really when the quest for the Big 12 title begins in earnest, right? Um, I mean, OU has looked vulnerable this year. Um, barely beating Tulane and barely beating Nebraska as well. Uh, okay, um, ne- they should have lost to Nebraska if Nebraska didn't have all their miscues in that game. So if they would have played worse than their opponent, 
they would have lost. Wow, that was yeah. insightful. Kyle. That was that was insightful commentary. Well, I what I was saying is I feel like they got lucky with some of the miscues that Nebraska had, but I mean, sure, but I mean, in the end, they played better and they won. And in the end, they had probably one of the most spectacular interceptions you'll ever see in a college football game. I don't know if any of our fans saw that, but go look that up. Also, the best best person to have on the call there, Gus Johnson, uh, lost his mind on that. So please go look that up. It was a it was a phenomenal yeah. catch. I, I saw the notification about that. I was like, OU has the interception of the year. I'm like, ESPN. Stop sucking up to OU this whole time. And then I went and watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, you're okay. Yeah, you're okay. That was the interception of the year. I, I knew that when the score sent me the notification that OU had the most unbelievable interception of the season, I was like, okay, this is probably legit. Yeah, that was a, that was a heck of a catch. So, But, yeah, OU looks a little bit vulnerable. Um, they don't look as good as maybe we thought they're going to. Maybe they'll get better as the season goes on. But they look like there's an opportunity here, and the quest to unseat OU starts uh, on Saturday in Waco. It is a 2.30 game. It will be televised on Fox. So unlike this last week, everybody will be able to get this game. Um, I know I don't get CBS Sports Network because I'm sure many of you didn't. Um, so I didn't watch any of it. I listened to it on the radio instead. Good old-fashioned radio. Get one. Love it. Or, or if you had a random email account, you could have signed up for a seven-day free trial of FUBU TV and gotten it for one evening and then canceled your trial. Even if you yeah, that too. missed the whole first quarter, basically, because we had to right. had to watch, uh, who was that, SDSU and... San Diego State and Utah forever rooting against those two teams. Going into <laughs> time and CBS Sports not even showing us the updated score on the feed at the bottom. I'm a little salty about it, so you didn't miss much if you didn't watch the game. Yeah. Um, it will be hot and sunny. It's supposed to be 90 degrees and sunny in Waco on Saturday. Hopefully the Cyclones will have tents. If they don't have tents, I am going to be very upset. Um, ISU is seven and a half point favorites in the line as I just looked. Um, so Vegas thinks Cyclones are going to have a pretty good shot at winning that game. ESPN's FPI is not as optimistic. They only have Iowa State uh, with a 54.7% chance of winning that game. I would have thought it had been a little higher than that, but apparently um, ESPN disagrees for some reason. In the end, what we've seen in non-conference, I still think this is going to be a win. Um, I've said it from I said it in our predictions a few weeks ago. I think this is going to be a win, and and that's still the case. I don't see anything I've seen from either team that makes me think Iowa State won't prevail here. This defense is just too good. This defense is just too good, and Brock Purdy just won't make as many mistakes as he did against Iowa. So. Yeah, I mean, we we all chalked this up as a win um, in our our preseason uh, rundown of every single game. Um, I I don't see this changing. I think Baylor is still somewhat in a rebuilding process as well. So, and you know, they haven't faced this level of defense or competition so far this season. So, I think this should be. This should be another one of those games that hopefully gives Iowa State some confidence, uh, and then they look forward to the next week as well. Or I guess two weeks after that, because isn't Iowa State on bye after Baylor, or is it after Kansas? They're basically on bye for the two weeks after Baylor. You're right. Because they play Kansas and then have their actual bye. 
Sorry, so I forgot about that part. Yeah. Two bye weeks. Right. So two bye weeks. I mean, you might as well just throw Hunter Deckers out there for a whole game. Why not? Mm, that's a recipe to get upset. You need to play Brock Purdy for like the first half to make it like 35 to 3, and then you can play Hunter Deck. Which he did get in at the end of the UNLV game. He threw six passes at the end of the UNLV game. So he's now played what is it, two appearances this year that makes him? He didn't appear against UNI. Two appearances. He, he also he also appeared last year in the game against Kansas as well, I believe. Yes. And maybe one other game too. So Yep. So remember he can play in four games and still redshirt um for the season. So that's the sort of threshold to keep an eye on for him is if he's gonna gonna red shirt here, if he's gonna play more than four games. He's at two. We'll see if we see him anymore this season. We'll keep you informed on that. But of course, we'll give you a wrap up on whatever happens against Baylor, win or loss, hopefully win, because otherwise I'm gonna be upset and then we're gonna have problems. So because I'm already upset at one football team, because gosh darn it, I hate kickers. I am starting a petition to ban kickers from the National Football League. We're going to change the rules to eliminate all kickers. Who's in? Mike, it's it's for the brand. Pat McAfee is going to be your biggest opposition here. He is going to fight you tooth and nail over this. Punters can still exist. I've got nothing against punters. Just he will stand up for his good, good old buddy Adam Vinatieri, who can probably kick your head all the way to the moon. My my head would not come off my body if it was kicked by Adam Vinatieri. I might, might die. It might. <laughs> I might die, but my head would not come off my body. I guarantee it. Uh, Wyatt, are you, you going to sign my petition to remove all kickers from the National Football League? I, I will not. However, I am impressed since we're talking about kickers. We didn't talk about this in the, the, the pre-episode discussion. But did you guys see the Cardinals 62-yarder that they made? Yes. yes. That was wild. This is why I want to ban kickers. Why can't the Vikings have nice things? Their opponent hits a 62-yard field goal at the end of the half, and the Vikings have a missed extra point and a missed 37-yard. 37. It's not like this was a 54-yarder where you'd say, eh, he missed it. It happens. 37 yards. I mean, win. I mean, Mike, just get good. I mean, Harrison Butker, Justin Tucker, uh, Adam Vinatieri, uh, I mean, Greg Zerline missed a lot in the Thursday night football opener. Graham gano has been kicking bombs forever. Uh, Nick Folk. I mean, yeah. come on, Mike. Teams Dan have ba- had good success with kickers. Dan Bailey was the second most accurate kicker in NFL history when the Vikings signed him, and he sucked for the Vikings. The Vikings just can't have good kickers. Well, like I mean, the rules. What, is, what does that go to show you then? It, like, is Minnesota the graveyard for kickers? Like, did your special teams coaching staff just absolutely suck? Like, I mean, like, what are they doing up there? Are they kicking tennis balls to make it easier? I have, I have no idea. I, uh, I, I probably jinxed it because on Saturday I was talking to somebody, and after Greg Joseph hit that big field goal, um, at the to send it to overtime against Cincinnati, I said. Wow, it looks like maybe the Vikings have finally found their kicker. And he goes and does that the next day. I jinxed it. That's really what happened is I jinxed it by saying the Vikings might have found their kicker. Um, yeah, is I'm so very I'm very upset. Well, kickers are not being taken away from the NFL. 
however, some teams might need to uh, figure out uh, their quarterback situation, and it's already week two. It's not like these quarterbacks have been terrible. It's just that, man, the injury bugs are popping up early. So it was a big week for injuries and quarterbacks. Carson Wentz somehow sprained both ankles on the same play. Like, come on, man. Close How do you do that? Other people's ankles. It's, I, I just, I didn't think that could happen. The dude is made of glass. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, man, I, he was trying to show this man had a punctured lung last year because of some stupid doctor not knowing what he's doing. Punctured lung gets replaced by Justin Herbert. He gets run out of LA. Uh, and now he's in Houston on the worst team in the league, potentially. And he balls out week one, week two, he gets hurt. And now what's going to happen? I don't know. It's unfortunate for him. Tua got rocked uh, because their offensive line can't can't hold back. A, I don't know. They just can't hold anyone. Well, they can't hold them, but they can't stop them. Andy That's Dalton. To hold. That's a penalty. Well, holding might have been better. It would have saved their quarterback from getting hurt. Uh, Andy Dalton got injured as well. Apparently, the Bears are still calling him their starter even it even when he's healthy so i guess he still has a starting job when he comes back and Derek carr is now questionable uh with an ankle injury going forward uh it, which is problematic for the raiders since they just put marcus mariota on ir because he hurt himself on the only play that he uh appeared in on monday night football in week one and he pulled his hamstring so that was bad news bad news for all those teams in their quarterback situations but one quarterback who is the ageless wonder for sure, Tom Brady. I an absolute monster. He he and his their his connection with Rob Gronkowski is absolutely just remarkable. What they've been able to do for so many years together between the Patriots and now the Buccaneers. Uh Tom Brady in this game goes. 24 of 36 for 276 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, total on the season so far, he's already thrown nine touchdowns to two interceptions off to a phenomenal start. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers look like they're picking up right where they left off, uh, which is going to be a problem in the NFC, uh, especially since they are in a pretty weak division as well. Uh, Speaking of problems, <clears throat> the Chiefs defense is basically like toilet paper trying to hold back a dammed up lake. Um, it, it doesn't work. It, it, I, I don't know. Like, like Mike said before, if you have a good defense, you're always in games. Every time you get into a shootout, it's a crapshoot. It is. And it was a crapshoot. Whoever had the ball last basically won the football game. Uh, I mean, the Chiefs were driving down, costly fumble late by Clyde Edwards-Alaire, his first fumble in the NFL, or first lost fumble in the NFL. Um, so that was that was a big, big loss uh, to a team that could, that looking down the road in the AFC playoff picture, later on, those two teams could, that tiebreaker could be big uh, in when it comes to seeding. Around the NFL, uh, it's just, just some good overall football. Matt Stafford looks good for the Rams. 
Uh, he and Cooper Cup seem to have a very good connection so far. Props to all the people who picked up Cooper Cup on fantasy teams. Uh, after blowing out the Packers, the New Orleans Saints lay an absolute dud in Carolina. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers have somehow managed to lose all of their running backs as well. They have a, a running back issue. The Buffalo Bills get back on track after they absolutely obliterate the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and Cleveland holds off the Houston Texans to win. And the Raiders go to 2-0 and were some of the big games of the day. Actually, what, probably one of the best games of the day might have been that Tennessee Titans-Seattle Seahawks game. Uh, Mike, how, how do you feel if you're a coach or an offensive coordinator? How do you think your running back is going to hold up in a longer season when you hand the ball to him 40 times in a football game? I mean, that's not a recipe for the long-term health of your running back, but, I mean, the Vikings basically did it, what year was that, 2012 with Adrian Peterson when he almost broke the rushing record. I mean, that was pretty much what the Vikings were doing. Christian Ponder would just turn and hand the ball off to Adrian Peterson, they took him to the playoffs. It can work. It doesn't usually work, but it can work with the right offensive line and running back. Yeah. Well, Derrick Henry proved that it could work uh, just shy of 40 rushing or 40 rushing attempts. Sorry, 35 attempts on the day, uh, 182 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Too bad I don't have him in my fantasy football team because my team sucks. He sucks. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Ryan Tannehill it would have been nice if he would have gotten at least one of those touchdowns uh, to save his performance. Um, but, you know, hey, there's always next year. I still have won a fantasy championship in the last five years, so that's it's okay. But you know who's probably not going to win a championship this season and their fans are going to be a little upset? The Padres. I mean, absolute collapse. Mike, do you want to fill us in? It has been an absolute collapse for San Diego. San Diego is now 2-8 and eight in their last 10 Believe it or not, San Diego is only three games above 500 right now. Remember, this is the team we were talking about as a shoe-in for the playoffs. Is right now sitting only three games above 500. They're three and a half games out of that second NL wildcard spot. And speaking of that NL wildcard spot, it's another week. So, of course, we have another team leading the NL wildcard chase. It seems like it changes every week. Right now, the St. Louis Cardinals are um, in that second wildcard spot. Um, they've got a three-game lead over Cincinnati, three-and-a-half over San Diego, and four over Philadelphia. Um, so, also, the Cubs aren't eliminated yet, Wyatt. Mathematically, tomorrow is probably elimination day for the Cubs. Their wildcard uh, elimination number is, is one. They haven't been eliminated yet. Thought they're already eliminated. My bad. I jumped. If they win all their games and St. Louis loses all their games, the Cubs will make the playoffs. And also Cincinnati, San Diego, Philadelphia lose a crap ton as well. It's possible. Believe. Yeah. Why it doesn't believe. No, absolutely not. Well, I, I just want to touch on something here while while we were talking about the Cardinals. Uh a a person who's or a pitcher who's kind of flown under the radar a little bit recently is the Adam Wainwright, who is still pitching phenomenally well in age 40 season. Um, 
in his last or overall this season, he's 16 and seven with a 2.89 ERA. And in his last seven games, his last seven starts in their big push, he's really ramped it up. He's five and one with a 1.70 ERA uh, in those games with four almost. Uh, 48 innings pitched uh, with 32 strikeouts. He has really cranked it up. And I think he's one of those guys that isn't deserving a lot of recognition potentially for an NL Cy Young, uh, garnering all those votes for an NL Cy Young award this year. But he's been absolutely spectacular uh, in his age 40 season. And he's really helping lead this team into that playoff uh, that final wild card spot where unfortunately they will face the second best team in baseball, most likely in a uh, winner go home uh, game. So it'll be, it'll be fun to see if Adam Wainwright is a starter for that in his age 40 season, but another team that their pitcher, they've had a really great pitcher this year. They paid him a lot of money. Garrett Cole has tried to do everything for that anemic pitching staff in New York, but they just continue to slide. Uh, and recently Garrett Cole was just booed off the mound uh, by the fans in New York. Uh, even though he's really been the one trying to carry them uh, and hold that ship upright. Mike, how's that, how's that AL wildcard race starting to shape up now? Yep. Um, so that AL wildcard race is starting to be a little bit more separation. Um, Boston and Toronto are starting to separate themselves from the pack a little bit. Um, Toronto, because in the last two and a half weeks of the season, they had seven games against the Twins. Very good for your, uh, your record, getting to play the Twins seven times down the stretch. Boston has a game edge over Toronto, who's sitting in the second wildcard spot right now. The Yankees are a game and a half back. Oakland is two games back, and Seattle is four games back. Oakland and Seattle are in the midst of a series right now that will basically probably eliminate one of those two teams. Um, the loser of that series is probably done um, in the playoff race, so that's a really big series here this week. Um but yeah, the Yankees fans are not very happy as this Yankees team is just going on wild surges, as we've talked about. Wild win streaks and then losing streaks. And then, yeah, it's just been a mess for the Yankees who have not been able to play consistent enough baseball to stay in this race. But otherwise, the playoff spots are mostly already decided. We're just looking at those two AL wildcard spots and the one NL wildcard spot. Everything else... All the divisions are decided as well, with the exception of the uh, NL West and a little bit the NL East. So San Francisco has a game lead over the Dodgers in the NL West. Um, that's really the only division that's super competitive. Those, um, Philadelphia is still nipping a little bit at Atlanta's heels, but they're keeping them at arm's reach for the most part. So that is about it for Major League Baseball. There is... Uh, Week and a half left in the season now. Is that about it? Two weeks, maybe? Week and a half, yeah. Yeah, so next week will be our final um, regular season update, and then we'll give you our playoff predictions um, two weeks from now is when we'll give you our MLB playoff predictions. We might even do it next week, depending on how the Cyclones game goes. If we have not a ton to talk about from the Cyclones, we might do Well, it. we'll have plenty to talk about the following week because it's just Kansas, so. True, so... 
We will keep everybody informed on the MLB playoffs as they happen. Um, but that is all for now. Um, of course, we will keep you informed on Willens Astadio as well. He made two. What? You're not going to, you wrote it down and you didn't talk about Salvador Perez. I'm kind of upset now because I wasn't going to bring it up initially. I just, you wrote it down and now you're not even going to talk about it. It's fine. I, I just, I just did it to give you hope. No, Salvador Perez, um, for those who haven't been following the Royals because they're bad, um, is having one of the best offensive seasons, certainly for a catcher ever. Um, he just broke. Um, on Monday broke the major league record for the most home runs in a season by a primary catcher. Um, so good for him there. Um, Mike, what does a primary catcher mean for all of our listeners out there? There's not necessarily an official definition for it, but basically it's a player who plays a majority of his games at catcher. The the stat that has been tossed around a lot recently is uh, most so most home runs in MLB history by a player with 75% of his starts at catcher uh, for for the season. So that's kind of that benchmark. He passed Johnny Bench uh, today all time. That was, that was the person who held the record previously. Um, and also not to mention that he's leading not only the AL, but all of baseball in RBIs as well at 115 so it's it's been one of those years where a lot of people might not just very much so like Adam Wainwright, a lot of people who aren't fans of that team uh, might not recognize kind of what's going on, um, especially in a team where, I mean, Salvi has done every, a lot for this team, not only catching for a very young pitching staff, but and he won't get any recognition probably for. AL MVP because Shohei Otani has walked away for walked away with it and deservingly so since he's the best two way player in baseball obviously so yeah I mean Vlad Guerrero Jr. might get some uh, votes oh he I think I think he should get votes and I think Salvi should as well but I think Shohei is probably gonna end up walking away with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. That's who I would vote for, too. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Guerrero gets some votes, too. Um, now, can I move on to our weekly total tab? Yes, you, you can. Sorry. It's just you wrote it down. You know, we haven't ever skipped over the weekly turtle tab, have we? No, because it's a, one of our signature segments. You don't just skip over signature segments. It's not how it works. If they don't happen, they're not signature segments. But anyway, um, another not that exciting week for Willems Astadio. He appeared in two games this last week. Um, did have one RBI double in those two games, so good for him. But other than that, not too exciting. Still looking at getting cut this offseason, so that would be sad. Moving right along to our accountability session, which we'll move right out of because we have no predictions coming off the board this week. Um the next two weeks are probably going to be bigger weeks because uh, two weeks from now the baseball season ends. So all of our end of season baseball predictions are coming off the board um, in two weeks. So keep an eye out for that. But this week we got nothing. Oh my goodness. I skipped a signature segment. Just when I talked about not skipping signature segments, I skipped a signature segment. Wow. This is premium. This is your premier Midwest based sports podcast here. I completely skipped 
Mike stupid rules because I had scrolled down too far on my outline because for some reason we have a completely blank third page on our outline. Like there's nothing on it. Why does that page even exist? We're going to delete that right now so that nobody confuses themselves again. And now we're going to talk about Mike's stupid rules. Where we're going to talk about a play that happened um, in the college game on Saturday between Memphis and Mississippi State. For those of you who didn't see it on social media, basically what happened is Mississippi State punted and they stopped the ball at the one and knocked it forward towards about the five yard line where they knocked it again and just sort of left it spinning there on the five yard line. And then a Memphis player ran in between them, picked it up and went and returned it all the way for a touchdown. Now, a couple things we want to talk about on this play. First of all, why did the Memphis player pick it up and why was he able to return it after Mississippi State had touched it? Well, remember, we talked about this in the NFL. First touching by the kicking team is a violation. It does not mean a dead ball. It's only a dead ball if it goes out of bounds or is controlled by the defense or by the kicking team. So since they just let it spin there, it was not a dead ball. Um, also, because of the first touching violation, nothing bad can happen for Memphis from picking up that ball. Even if he fumbles it, they have the option to choose to take that ball at that spot of first touching. So only good things can happen for the receiving team if you go to try to pick up the ball after the kicking team has touched it. So that's why Memphis's player went and picked it up. Um, the other two things we want to talk about on that play is, first of all, um, it was reported that Memphis had two players with the same number on the field at the same time. Um, this is really only a problem in college because in the NFL, you can't have two players on your roster with the same number. In college, you can. Um, they just can't be on the field at the same time. That is a five-yard penalty. Um, the officials missed that on this play. I'm wondering if that happened on every play because generally a punt team is pretty much the same all game. So that's something officials should keep a closer eye on. Um, you are allowed to change jerseys for single plays like that in college. Um, you just have to report that change of number to the officials prior to the play. Um, so that's what Memphis would have to do in that situation. They don't have to take one of those players off the punt return team. One of them would just have to throw on a replacement jersey quick and, uh, report to the officials for that number check. The other thing we want to talk about is there was an official who prior to blowing his whistle for um, the dead ball did signal, you know, wave his arms over his head, like stop the clock, like you would in a dead ball situation. Um, there's some gray area there as to whether that counts as an, at least in my opinion, it's gray area. Why it gave me a look that he disagrees as to whether that um, should count as like an inadvertent whistle that would cause the ball to be dead, despite um, it otherwise not being. Um, if there was a whistle, obviously that's dead, right? Whistleblowers plays over, even if it was um, incorrect and inadvertent, right? You see that in um, overturned fumbles, right? Even if the, the team picks it up and returns it for a touchdown, it's, uh, it's dead if the, official is, uh, if the whistle is blown. Wyatt, do you want to weigh in on that, the part, the, the dead ball signal? Well, well, let me ask you, what do you think the result of that play should have been? I thought the touchdown was – well, besides the missed penalty, right? The penalty should have been enforced. Eh. Um, but outside of that, I was fine with touchdown. I had no problem with touchdown. So I, I actually think this should have been 
I, I don't know. I, I've been watching it over and over and over again. Uh, let, let me back up real quick. Going back to the inadvertent whistle thing, according to the rules, I still think that that should have been treated as an inadvertent. The, the rule says a live ball becomes dead um, if it's a dead ball, right? And there's a whole, a whole <laughs> bacteria that, that kills the, the ball. Uh, or if an official sounds their whistle or otherwise signals that the stop clock motion is one of those signals, in my opinion. I, I can see where the gray area comes from. But as I watch this play, you, you see the back judge bag the, the spot of first touching, right? He bags yeah. with his bean bag. And then he also bags when the ball is sitting there before Memphis picks up the ball. At that point, I think the ball is dead, according to the back judge which means that this probably should have been uh, not Memphis's ball, right? The, the ball is dead there. I don't think this is an inverted whistle. I think the ball was dead there, and they just decided not to go with it. Did he kill it early? Yeah. but I mean, it would have been Memphis's ball either way. Or Memphis's ball at the, uh, the, the seven-yard line or wherever. Not, not a touchdown, sorry. I got yeah. So I wouldn't be opposed to that ruling, but none of the – the uh, Mississippi State players were confused by that signal. None of them were looking at them. None of them were like, what? You called it dead. They were just like, what? He picked up the ball? Yeah. Uh, so I get it. But, yeah, to me, I was fine with the way it played out. I mean, just fall on the dang football. Stop yep. celebrating. Fall on the football. Know the rules. Good on Memphis for knowing the rules. Boo on Mississippi State for not knowing the rules. Like, that was a really heads-up play by that returner for going and grabbing that football. Like, play to the whistle. Know the rules that nothing bad can happen there from uh, picking up the ball. So, good for him. Uh, anybody else got any thoughts on this play? Seeing none. As I said, we have no accountability session. Um, so, we will go right into our write-that-down prediction segment. Um, I am going to predict that I am the only 8311 cast member to make the fantasy football playoffs in our fantasy football league. It's a 12-team um. league. Six teams make the playoffs. Um, after two weeks, Wyatt and I will both be 1-1, one and, one, and Kyle is going to be 0-2. Uh, this is a single. I'm going to make the playoffs. This is a single. Why? Because Wyatt gives up at the end of the season every year. And my team sucks. Oh, I made the playoffs last year. Barely. I still made it. Barely. I think it took help for you to make the playoffs. This this is a home run because I'm going to make it. This is not a home run. This is a single. I don't know. Fine. Give him a single. I'll probably not make it. I might. All right. I'm fine with the single. I liked your explanation of why it's going to give up. I think that's probably a good explanation (laughs) for it. So. You know me too well. Do you have anything for Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, we do. He's still alive. He's still doing good. He actually made his prediction um, early because he wanted to get it in before the um, Monday night football game because he had a prediction um, for tonight. Um, he was predicting that Alan Lazard would have at least four catches um, in this game. Um, and we determined that that would be a double at the time before the game started. So... Um, the game is now late in the fourth quarter and he has zero catches. So I don't think this is going to happen, but at the time, you know, four catches was not unreasonable. So we gave him a double. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wyatt, what do you got? Let's say Brock Purdy is not, he's not going to have a pick. There's not going to be an interception caused by Brock Purdy uh, in the game versus Bay. You, you can rephrase whatever I wrote down. 
Brock Purdy doesn't throw a pick versus yeah. Baylor. That makes more sense. Gotcha. Um, single or double? What do you think, Kyle? I think single. I think he's. Say so I don't know. I think single. I'm fine with single. Yeah. Right. You gonna complain? Nah. Single it is. Uh, Kyle, what do you got? Uh, I am riding the wave that defense does, in fact, win championships. And uh, this defense is going to be very – is going to hurt this Chiefs team a lot this season. So I'm saying that they will be a three seed or worse uh, in the playoffs this season. Okay. Well, according to 538, there's a 24% chance they get a first-round bye which would mean they were the one seed because only the one seed gets a first round bye now. Yeah. Um, so that's a 24% chance. Um, boy, this is single double territory for me. It's right on the border there. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of dig a double. I'm fine with a double, I think. Kyle, is that okay? You're not going to complain about that? That's fine with me. All right, we will give you a double. I don't have a good reason to argue otherwise, so we'll give you a double. I don't have a reason to ask for more, so. So double it is. With two singles and two doubles, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 143 of the 87 cast. We appreciate you guys sticking around with us. Make sure you tune in to next week's episode, which would be 144, because, again, like every episode, we go in sequential order. Signing off for the Devin Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Beat the Bears. Go Cyclones. <laughs>